everything that can be will be shaken. Trials at the moment are not pleasant, but bring forth righteousness. Mm. Thanks, ministry team. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy, my sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. That is upside-down thinking. For the past months now, we've really been keying in on taking a look at seeing the kinds of various trials. We've been looking at Noah and Joseph and Abraham and Job and uh, just a number of people walking with them to see the kinds of various trials that God brings about to work in and through us and to show Himself bigger to us. And we are in the last three weeks of this series. You may be going, yippee, because this has been heavy. But we are in the last three weeks, and our focus is going to change. Now, I realize right when I said we're in the last three weeks, a number of you are like, last three weeks? Like, what's after the three weeks? Well, we've got Easter, and then we've got a new series coming up. And I want to just show you a picture of what the new series is to um, describe it. We are going to be doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. And I would just encourage you to begin reading the book of Galatians, getting familiar with it. It is actually quite a deep uh, book. Um, I am pumped. I am so looking forward to it. Because friends, set free. Set free. No more living even in a glass bowl. Jumping out. And if you're worried about that little fishy, is he going to die outside of that bowl? Not without Christ. Because he's been set free. We'll get there. Back to these three weeks. We've been laying the foundation of what various kinds of trials are. And now we're going to key in on looking at three weeks of responses. We're going to look today at the disciples. Next week, we're going to look at Paul. And how did Paul respond? How did the disciples respond to a trial? And then third, the weekend before Easter, we're going to look at Christ in Gethsemane. How did he respond to a trial? Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, because we are going to take a look at one of the most intense scenes of Scripture. And I want to forewarn you that I am going to try and help us understand the intensity of the scene, which means I'm going to be intense today. This is so cool. And you may be like, are you never not intense? But uh, I'm going to try and really help us get this scene because I think this is one that can just be read through so quickly. And we are going to watch the disciples mess up today. Today's looking at a response is about seeing how not to respond and learn from that. The next two weeks are going to be about looking at how to properly respond. But today we're going to take a look at how not to respond. And I just want to tell you the fact that they messed up gives me hope. Gives me hope. I want to bring up a picture here and take a look at this. And just as you're settling into getting to Mark chapter 4. And uh, what does this picture kind of make you think about? What does it make you feel? I'd put it this way. I think this picture 
is a good depiction of how our lives sometimes feel and look in under pressure times. In fact, you may be going, that Doug is my life right now. Um, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. And you may be saying, that's not my life at all right now. Oh, let me tell you something. It's not about if trials. It's about when trials. And today we're going to be looking at a set of trials that kind of are like this. This big pile of mess, a a scattered and discouraging kind of a reality. It seems like a scene of unending hopelessness. A life without cir- with circumstances that just seem to be out of my control. And uh, this picture kind of depicts the disciples' life one fine evening. Well, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, uh, actually begins what I think is the first of five stories. Now, we are going to be keying in on this one story from Mark 35 to the end of the chapter. Uh, But I want to set the scene so we have the context of, I think, as Mark, the human author, being moved by the Spirit of God to be writing down the words of God, uh, Mark, I think, puts together a series of five stories, and we just don't have the time to go on all five. I think these are five different stories with five different sets of people, all getting to a common truth, a common principle to be taught. And let me just lay them out for you here, because I think as we look at it, you understand we're not just talking about circumstances, we're talking about a number of things. Chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, our text for today, really keys in on circumstances. Uh, what do I do when my circumstances seem to be totally out of my control? We're going to be digging into that one. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, begins a story where uh, the uh, disciples in Christ are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a demon-possessed man. And in essence, what's it look like when my, if you will, my soul is out of my control? Out of control. And then there's a next story, 521 to 24, and then it jumps and picks back up in 35 to 43. What about a father whose loved one, seems to be out of control. This is a dad whose daughter is about to die. And he's in panic. And he comes to Christ and asks Christ for some help. And then in chapter 5, 24 to 34, it's a woman who comes in a meeting, if you will, with Christ. And her health has been in shambles for years and years and years. And it's out of her control. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, I think is the fifth of these five stories where Jesus actually goes to his home and, if you will, his friends, his homies, his, his buds, uh, they like totally turn on him. And it's like my friends are out of control. When my circumstances, when my soul, when my loved one, when my health, when my friends, when my life is out of control, uh, remember this, Christ is amazing. Uh, Oh, small groups? Let's go this route. Christ is awesome. Christ is awesome. Isn't that awesome? Christ is awesome. And because Christ is amazing, because Christ is awesome, he is worthy of our faith in him. Listen, this is not just some cute story This is not just some, oh, rub the magic lamp and I hope the Jesus thing works. Listen, 
We are about to engage in something that shows us one of five stories as well as the rest of scriptures that points to the fact that Christ is amazing and he is worthy of your and my complete and other faith in him. Let's go. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day when evening had come. Now, on what day? Well, this day. What happened this day? Well, let's take a quick look in Mark chapter 4 earlier. Actually, let's go to verse 1. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and set it, uh, set it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them. We've got a picture of the Sea of Galilee here up on the screen. You can almost envision it, if you will. I don't know if this is the spot, but some spot along the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is teaching, and there's many spots where there's almost like these natural amphitheaters. And the crowd's so big. So I want for you to understand this. It was bigger than us, okay? Because it's so big that he had to get in a boat and get out because of the crowd all around so that they could all hear I don't know, was it a thousand, two thousand? I have no idea. But we know this. It was a very large crowd. And there he is, and there he's teaching. And he teaches this parable about a farmer who sows seeds. And he throws seeds, and it lands on four kinds of soil. The first soil is the hard path, where basically the seed is the word. And the word is sown out on the hard path, and it's just like ka-chunk, ka-chunk, gone. The birds come, eat it away. No impact on that person at all. Oh, by the way, the word, so is the word, John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and then the second soil was the, uh, listen to this one, was the rocky soil. Jesus tells about how the word, the seed, is sown out onto the rocky soil. And it actually tells about how the person responds like, Yeah, Jesus, Jesus rocks, I'm about Jesus, woo Hang in here with me. I told you this is intense today. Okay? But they're, they're all fired up about Jesus, Jesus. And then as it talks about how in the stony soil, persecution because of the word, they say, I'm out. I wanted Jesus for the easy life. I wanted Jesus for comfort. I just wanted Jesus to go to heaven. And listen, that is so not the gospel. And so in this, here's this person who responds, remember this one, because I think we see some of number two happening in the lives of the disciples. Then the third seed is sold on the thorny soil. Thorny soul is the, I'm all about Jesus, yeah, Jesus, man, I'm all fired up, Jesus, I've come to Christ. And then it's uh, kind of like, oh man, I'm all about wealth, and I'm about the world, and stuff, and things, and sex, and all this kind of stuff out there, and that's what I'm about. And it's like, yeah, Jesus is kind of there, a trophy in the closet. And Jesus is like, that's not faith. That's not the gospel. Then he talks about the fourth soil. Fourth soil is the one that receives the seed and produces fruit. And it grows. And there's 30, 60, 100 fold pr production from the thing. Now, this whole story is about faith. This whole story is about understanding what faith in Christ is really all about. I'd sum it this way. It's not about soil number one. It's not about soil number two. It's not about soil number three. It's about soil number four. 
And I think we're going to see the growing disciples today live like soil number two. Jesus teaches on this. And then in chapter four, verse 13, and he said to them, they got him, pulled him aside. And they said, hey, Jesus, like, what are you talking about here? I don't get it. And he said, do you still not understand the parable? He's kind of like, guys, come on. Are you still not quite getting what's going on here? And they're like, no. And so uh, I'm so grateful. He says, you know what? Let me teach you. So he teaches them through what the parable is about. That day. That's the day. They had great teaching that day. Christ is ministering to hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of people. No microphone system. No other C things going on. Just him ministering to people. And, and we a full day, and then verse 35, on that day when evening come, great teaching, intense ministry, a whole lot going on. That day when evening come, he said to them, let us go to the cross to the other side. Now, they hadn't done anything wrong, and he's like, okay, guys, in light of what you do, just did, we're going to go to the other side because I got something to teach you. And instead, what really happens here is Jesus just says, hey, guys, uh, uh, let's, let, uh, let's go to the other side. Oh, question, where did Jesus say they were going to go? You sure? Now look again. Is that really what the text says? Jesus says they're going to go where? So you're telling me Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Messiah, the creator of all things, has told them that they're going to go to... Okay, keep that in mind. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with him in a boat uh, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So the disciples are in a boat. And, and, and Christ is with the disciples in the boat. And there's other boats as well. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. Now this is not uncommon to happen on the Sea of Galilee. From what they say over there. And the storms will rise up and come across. And So it's not uncommon for a storm to come along. Now the word that's used here in the Greek is not the kind of word where it's like, you know, there was a sprinkle. Or there was kind of like one of those storms where it's like, oh, let's go sit out on the porch and watch the storm. I don't know, Karen, I love to do that sometimes. And it's like you just watch and it's like, cool. Isn't that neat? And it's just like so, I don't know, the other day it was raining and I felt like we're camping again. I miss camping. And uh, just that, that wasn't this kind of storm. In fact, the word that's used is a particular word that's really referring to what meteorologically, or however you say it, we call today a squall. A squall is a wall of weather. It's literally nowadays on the radar. It shows a line that's not like a blob. It's a straight line coming down. And before that, it's nice weather, and then hard weather hits. It's the kind of thing where you're sitting out, and you look out in the distance, and you go, we're going to watch it for a while, and then after a little while, we're hightailing it inside. It's the kind of storm to where I remember taking some flight instructions, and they said, listen, if there's ever a squall, the thing that you do is if there's ever a squall, you go down, and you go down, and you land in anywhere, street, cornfield, anywhere, because if you don't go down on purpose somewhere, you will be going down on un purpose somewhere. That's the kind of weather. So you could just see they get in a boat, it's evening, and the storm begins to build. It's a great storm, and we're going to see how big this storm is here. 
and a great windstorm arose, and here's how big, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Understand, this was not a canoe. This wasn't a kayak. This wasn't like a 13-person kayak. This wasn't like a a blow-up rubber dinghy. This, This was a boat, okay, made out of wood, designed for fishing, that would be able to handle some of these storms. Because, by the way, through the story, the boat doesn't fall apart as well as the others don't either. It was designed for this kind of stuff. And they're going across, and we get the idea clearly that this is such a storm that the waves are coming in, the waves are piling in, and the boat is preparing to go down. Oh, and if I remember right, some of the disciples were professional fishermen. Now, here's one of the things. If you're ever, like, flying somewhere, you know, and you're going, and and it's been bumpy weather, and I remember Chicago one time going in, and, and I was sweating on my palms and holding tight and going, Lord, you are real, right? And uh, it was quite scary. Now, imagine if at that time the pilot got on and he got on. And he says, everybody panic because we're going down. <laughs> now, if the pilot, if the professional pilot is at that place in his understanding, I know it's time to panic, right? Okay. There's professional fishermen on the boat. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. Look at this. (laughs) I think this is humorous. Verse 38, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Okay. Um, Now, there's some who say that really he wasn't asleep. He was just kind of playing a game. In other words, he knew exactly what was going on, and he was kind of under a tarp, you know, with one eye just kind of sticking out, going, <laughs> I can't wait to watch these guys, these knuckleheads, see what they do. Oh, that's not what was happening here. He was asleep, the text tells us. Now, asleep in that situation, you have to go and you have to say, he was pretty tired. I'd term it this way. He was ministry dead dog tired. I mean, he'd been ministering to people all day. And then he'd been there with the disciples explaining and teaching. And I'm just going to tell you, it just drains the life out of you. And there he is teaching, and he's had this ministry going for a while, and yet he's 100% God, but yet this is also showing the reality of 100% man. And he's dead dog tired, and the waves are going along, which wasn't anything new for them to be on a boat, and he's sleeping in it. Now, if I'm there in the boat and I'm in panic mode and we got the coffee cans and we're like, you know, getting out just trying to stay up and this thing's going all over the place and I look over and I see one of my buddies and especially if it was like you, let's just put it this way, if we were in a boat together and you see me in the back, and not that I'm Jesus, but you understand. I'm in the back, and it's like, it's not just one of my buds, but it's like, you're like, you're a pastor. You know, rabbi is the word that comes up here. Teacher in this. It's like, dude, I, I got to tell you, if, if I was on there, I'd be like, thank you. Thanks a whole lot. And you're sleeping? Are you out of your living mind? This is an intense scene. And we see it right now. Take a look. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, look at this, look at this. Teacher, 
do you not care? Do you not care if we drown? They leave. They push off. Nothing was wrong. Just let's go to the other side. They push off and all of a sudden it starts coming and gets rocky and then it gets to the point where it's kind of beyond fun and it's kind of like woo and it's kind of like making fun of James or whoever who's barfing over the boat because he's not used to that setting. And, and then it all of a sudden gets into panic mode and you get to the place to where you're at that mode where there's a storm's coming up and you're bailing water and it's Buckets, just buckets coming down. You're soaking wet. The sails are down so you don't tip over. You think you're going to die. You think you're going to die right now. This boat's going to go over any minute. And I'm going to tell you, for me, the last thing in the world I would ever want to have happen is be left out and drowned to death for me personally. And you're about to go under. And in the chaos of it all, as you're going crazy, just trying to stay alive, you see the guy asleep and you're like, Teacher, wake up. Don't you care? There's a whole lot said in that statement right there. What's going on in the heart of someone who says that? Oh, by the way, before I or we become too pious, what I so love about this story is that's me. How many times in life when trials come along that push us to the edge and we look at it and we go, in essence, we may not say the words, but in essence, by attitude, by action, we literally are going, don't you care? This is the second person of the Trinity. This is the one who's coming to be nailed on a cross for these guys. What an insane thing to say. Don't you care? How much more caring can that be? For God so loved the world. But oh, I so relate. So relate. You see, there's a lot of accusation in the statement that's made there. Don't you care? <laughs> it's kind of the thing of uh, uh, no emotion. Uh, are you, uh, do you love us? It's kind of an accusation of, hey, you're not even aware of what's going on, are you? You are so aloof. There you are. You're just in the back, unaware, uncaring. You don't love me. You don't even know what's going on. You're in the back and everything is happening around. It's out of your control. Everything that's happening around. Frankly, I sit here and I look at you sitting in the boat and I just go, it actually, it's all about you, isn't it? I just want to tell you. This has been me too many times in life responding to trial. And I know us well enough as people that this has been too many times you responding in trial. God, you really don't know what's going on, do you? God, you really are kind of asleep at the wheel, aren't you? 
God, you know, this whole thing of it being all about your glory, you really are selfish. And I think I would have been doing the same thing. But we can learn from these, right? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, by the way, who brought the storm? What does the text say who brought the storm? And the answer is it doesn't tell us. I just want to note for us here for a minute. We oftentimes get so bound up in the, did God send this? Could God have sent this? I would say yes. I mean, Abraham and Isaac, as we've studied in the past. Uh, Satan didn't ask Abraham to kill his son. God did. It was for the purpose of testing his faith. Could this have been a faith-testing moment that God was the one who literally, functionally brought the storm on them? I would say absolutely it could be. It very well could be that God was the one who instituted this storm because they just had teaching that day. They had la- or lecture that day, and now it's time to get in the lab of life. And he brought a lab along. Very well could be. Could this have been Satan? Yeah, I think it also could have been Satan. I mean, what a great moment to be able to take the coming, you know, the Messiah out. Could it have been? Hey, I just want to add, just note this. It doesn't matter. And what I mean by that is I hope you take the theology that we've been looking at for the last couple months and realizing, especially with Job, God has allowed this. If God didn't want this to happen, God could have stopped it. God has parameters set. And here's the thing. So often I just see people struggling. Is this a God thing or is this a Satan thing? Can I just say this? I'm going to say this. It's before you. And a sovereign God, regardless whether he put it or Satan put it in there in your lap at the moment, it's there. And you're to live it out in a way to glorify God. So let's like get after the handling of the trial and not be so consumed by having to know all the data of the one who sits on the throne. Because that seat's already taken. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The things revealed are the things that we can know about. There are things that are, un, are not revealed that are only God's thing. And there's things like, it's like, don't know if God brought this, don't know if Satan brought this. But honestly, it really doesn't matter because I've got this right now. How does God want me to handle it? Teacher, do you not care that we are drowning? And Jesus awoke. He woke him up. Oh, this is so cool. Look at this. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea. He spoke to the sea and to the wind. I mean, could you just picture that? I mean, there you are in there. We're going to die. We're going to die. Jesus, don't you care? Wake up. Ah!" He gets up and he doesn't even look at you. Rebuke. I don't know what he said. But then to the sea, peace, be still. He's speaking to the water. Uh, Here's what's really cool. The word that's used there is actually a word for muzzled. He spoke to the water and he muzzled it. It's like a dog. And then you put a muzzle on it. And can you imagine being there? And you're, don't you care? 
And the wind and the waves listen to him. I would have loved to have seen that. But if I had to see that, that meant I would have been in a boat, and I really don't want to have been there. But we can see it here. Oh, my. He is So he speaks to the waves and he speaks to the wind. Then he speaks to them. Oh, by the way, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Not just a calm, a great calm. This passage here uses words to explain the the extremes of the situation. Total chaos, great chaos, great calm. Have you ever been out on a lake when it's just calm? And you're sitting out there and you can hear people on the other side talking. And it's like, do you know that I can hear your conversation? (laughs) And yet there they are, breathing. (laughs) The water dripping down. The boats (laughs) just taking this in. And then he speaks to them. I am so glad I'm not God. Because this is the moment. Uh, back in chapter 4, uh, verse 13. Do you not understand this parable yet? <laughs> and then right in the middle of the storm. Oh, jeepers, guys. I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> I mean, maybe too many Star Wars movies. But I just want to note here, look at what Christ does. I'm so grateful for this story. Because it just reminds me of his patience with me. Look at this. He gets at the issue. What's he going to say? He said to them, why are you so afraid? Well, like, duh. We're going to die. Oh, wait a second. From a God perspective, is dying really that bad? If you know Christ is your Savior, if you've been redeemed, is dying and being with God that bad? Now, I understand. Listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying emotions are bad. I'm just saying the reality of the situation here is the theology was not overtaking the emotions. And the emotions are there, I'm going to die. And he's like, well, why are you so afraid? I mean, like, let's remember, we have the second person of the Trinity who created all things in your boat. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, I'd say this, do be afraid. But for those who have Christ as their Savior, my goodness, why are we afraid? But I completely understand why we fear. Listen, fear and pride are the base issues of issues. I I fear my life being lost. I fear not being loved. I fear not having a husband who's like X, a wife who's like Y. I fear not having children. 
I fear uh, losing my job. I, I, I fear uh, not having comfort, not having peace. Listen, I understand. But it also goes to show how we need to be able to continue to work at applying our theology to real life. Emotions cannot drive the ship. God created us with emotions. I'm grateful for emotions. They're a wonderful reality of life. But they are horrible in the handling the steering wheel of life. Why are you so afraid? Here's the issue. Have you still no faith? That was the issue. This is all about faith. Oh yeah, consider trials with joy because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Where's your faith? What is faith? Uh, faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Uh, faith is believing the word of God. For them, the word of God. Oh, by the way, when they started, what did Jesus say they were doing? Going where? Which side? Not in the middle. To the other side. Oh. Faith is believing the word of God. At that time, for them, it was verbal. For us, it's right here. Believing the word of God and acting upon it. I don't even feel like acting upon it. I don't want to love someone. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with this. Understand. Understand. But faith is acting on the word of God, not my emotions, not my feelings, because I know that God says, James chapter 1, 24 and 25, that if I do what's right, God will bless. Believing the word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? Verse 41, as we wrap it. And they were filled, love this, with great fear. You see that? Before it was fear at the waves and the wind and the drowning. Now the fear is pointed in the right direction. It's about the fear of the Lord. They're looking at this guy. And now it's like, dude, did you just see? They weren't saying that, but they're, th did you just see that? He combed the women in the sea. Who is this? Who is this? Hey, uh, their view of God was bigger, became bigger in the middle of the sea than it was at the beginning of the sea. You see, various trials to work on our faith. They just saw God in a whole bigger way, a whole new way, a whole expanded way as a result of the trial. They just, because of the trial, there's a different God in their understanding than there was at the beginning of the trial. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the sea and the wind obey him? That was the right question. So what can we learn in responding to trials? Well, let me go this route. How should the disciples have responded? Well, I'll say this. 
when life is out of control, by faith I choose. Start with that. When life is out of my control, by faith I'm going to choose. Uh, Faith, believing the word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, that's a choice. That's a choice. When trials of life come along, I need to bring this up in my head. I'm going to be about faith. I'm going to choose to be about faith. And that, in essence, out of the story, I think we see four things. First, cling to the words of Christ. When they started on the endeavor, the words of Christ were, hey, guys, get in the boat. We're going to the... What if partway through when it got scary, someone in the boat would have recentered? would have brought God into the situation. Guys, I got an idea. Jesus said we're going to the other side. And Jesus, as we're trying to wrap all this together, he's just not like a guy. He's God in the flesh. I mean, my goodness, guys. Jesus said we're going to the other side. Guys, honker down. We're going to the other side. Just think if one person would have bought, I'll say, biblical truth applied to the situation, how the whole thing could have changed. And yet what they did was they helped each other live in fear rather than help each other live in faith because they did not bring the words of Christ to reality. Hey, let me ask you this question. When you hit a trial, what truths of Scripture are you using? Right there on your tongue. Do you have any? And lovingly. If the answer to that is no, then the reality is, is, When I go, why do I struggle through trials? I just lovingly want to say, because you don't have the words of Christ right there to recenter your thinking. You see, it's a choice. And we know that all things work together for good, Romans 28. Oh, but 29, so that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Hey, there's a winner. What scripture is coming to your lips at the times of trial? Second, cling to the people of Christ. I've kind of already alluded to that. One person could have helped the situation by bringing the words of Christ to bear on the situation. Are you putting yourself around people that can help you? Oh, I just want to say this straight up. We live in such a world that we idolize our privacy and solitude. I don't want anyone else to know about me. I can't tell you that. We idolize it. And that is foolish. Because my goodness, folks, this room is filled with sinners, right? Right? Because you didn't convince me very much there. Are we filled with a room of sinners? And do we need the words of Christ brought to bear in our lives in times of trial? And we need each other to help each other do that. That's why we have small groups. And that's why, by the way, behind the scenes, we are right now in the process of starting to initiate some plans. Oh, I'm so thrilled about initiating some stuff. I had to become a church that is equipped to help one another. Because so often we just come to church, just come to church and get the little stuff. And it's like, I'm tired of that. It's about life on life, side by side, in the boat together, helping one another. As we go ahead, soul care of each other. Cling to the words of Christ. Cling to the people of Christ. Third, cling to the person of Christ. Do you not care? Oh, man. Bad theology. You do care. My goodness gracious. 
cling to the person of who Christ is. He's caring, he's loving, he's involved, he's in full control, he's holy, and he's... That was really convincing. He's awesome. Listen. He's awesome. He's awesome. Fourth, cling to the purposes of Christ. The disciples saw Christ as asleep at the wheel. No, he's not. The rivers are in his hand. The kings are in his hand. And we've been seeing for the last two months that the circumstances of life are in his hand. Growing us. Using us. Correcting us. Let's pray. Father, this is one seriously intense passage and I've just really tried to just lay it out there. God, I would pray that we would catch the intensity of a big, awesome God in our lives. And it's so, such a big deal to me because I'm just talking to myself right now. The scriptures, you said, if you'd have faith of a mustard seed. I'm just seeing how much I have to grow how I need to expand my uh, conviction, my, my, my absolute adoration of you. And it's passages of like this that just bring to me before about my own apathy at times, about our own apathy as the church of Christ. And oh God, you're so big. awesome I pray that we would be the kind of people who believe the word of God and act upon it no matter how I feel knowing that you promise a good result you've got it all together that we would be the kind of people that cling to the word are in it people of the word we are people that help each other, that come alongside to encourage, come alongside to rebuke, come alongside to teach, come alongside to train, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says. So God, I pray that we be the kind of people that cling to the great big person of Christ and to your purposes. Thank you for not throwing me out of the boat. Thank you for bringing trials in my life in our life, to teach and grow us. May we see you big. In Christ's name we pray.